0: The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. All right, here we go. Good morning, Citizens Church. If we haven't met before, my name is Dan. I'm a pastor in training here with Citizens. Thank you all. Thank you very much. Uh, if you would turn, you could be in Colossians 1, 15 through 20 for this morning. Uh, it's going to take me a little minute to get there, but I promise we'll be right in Scripture very soon. Uh, If you've not been with us for the last couple of weeks, we've been walking through the Apostles' Creed. Uh, This is a framework that has been used for about 2,000 years for Christians to help point them to Scripture. What is true about God and how do we see that there? And through the last couple of weeks, we've established that we believe in God who existed before creation. In the beginning, God. And because of that, he's not limited by power. He's not limited by time or space. And then with that as well, he is three persons. He is the Father, he's the Son, and he's the Spirit. And then our belief in God is more than just knowledge. Belief shapes our life. It changes the way that we act and how we respond. And so together, I'm gonna invite you to stand again. Uh, We're gonna read the Apostles' Creed together as we have the last couple of weeks. It'll be up on the screen. If you're not a Christian, you can just stand there with us and join in um, as we read together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to pray. Lord, we thank you for this Sunday. We thank you for this opportunity to turn to your word to learn who Jesus was. I pray that your scripture would show us that he is the way to you, that the Father is in Jesus, and Jesus is with the Father. And I pray that we may learn why Jesus came, who he was, what power he has, and what that has to do for us in our life today. We thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for this time. Amen. All right, so before I get started, I need to invite you all into something a little crazy about me being here. Uh, It's just that if you took a snapshot of my life years ago, anyone who knew me then would just be baffled to see this now Dan on stage saying Jesus is Lord Uh, I wish you could see the faces of people that I knew when I was in college when I get to tell them that it's really great it's humbling also I'm a crier that's gonna happen (laughs) so I want to invite you in on that as well Uh, but part of that snapshot is that when I moved out of my hometown I left the church that I was in Um, not just left like physically but I mean like left emotionally spiritually physically all of that I was like nope not for me thanks Um, Not only did I leave, I was a critic of the church. Um, I interrogated people who had religious beliefs, especially Christians. I was the person you all would be really anxious to talk about, about your faith. And if you don't believe that, you can ask Cassandra, because she was one of the people, my wife, that I did, in fact, interrogate. Um, I thought that everyone could be pleasing to God in their own way. And so I studied about 30 other religions, including Christianity, searching for all the wisdom that they had to offer. It was actually kind of frustrating because they don't agree and they don't point to the same thing. So it was even more bothering me. So I lived my life in the way that I thought was best, doing my own thing, doing whatever I wanted to do, building together whatever wisdom that I could. And in that, I built everything that I could have wanted. I was living right in the exact city I wanted to live in, Athens, Ohio. Uh, I had the exact job that I was hoping to have, and I had people that I loved around me. I had everything that I could have desired while I was there, except I was also hit with a deep longing and depression, just right in the middle of all of that, where I could not locate, what else could I have? What else could I do to get rid of that? And so, I couldn't understand it. I started to examine everything that I had in my life, and I could not find out why it wasn't enough. So I started ending relationships, kind of retreating from everything that I had built, just trying to discover what is it that I had or didn't have that was leading me here. I was questioning my life, and I started seeing a counselor trying to just sort this all out. And in the midst of that, I started to go back to church. And every week, my assertions about who Jesus was started to be questioned and confronted. Did he really live and die here on earth? Are his teachings good and true, or is he outdated Did he really come back from the dead? And if he did, what does that mean for me? Who was Jesus really? It became the most important question to me. I fought for this. And there's no question more important to your life than who Jesus is. Who do you say that Jesus is? This question, Jesus even asked his disciples, so we're gonna look at Matthew 16, 13 through 15 for a moment. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? He immediately drew this contrast. Other people are saying some things. They say that I'm these people, they say that I'm these prophet, but who do you say that I am? He draws the attention to them. And if we look at us today, everyone around us has some form of opinion or belief about Jesus. Some say that he never existed, that he was a myth. The Islamic faith teaches that Jesus was just a prophet, a messenger from God. The Church of Latter-day Saints, commonly known as Mormons, say that he was an angel created by God less than God. Like the secular Westerners around us, we hear that he was a hippie or some socialist or revolutionary, just love is everything, love is in all, he is love. Or you might even be choosing what feels like the most safe option you could, the most people-pleasing option. He was a good teacher. He was wise. He had a lot of good things to say, but that's it. I'm a little ashamed to say that's where I landed for a really long time, because there's two parts of that that was really foolish for me. The first was, I said that because it was more about me than about God. I didn't hurt anybody. (laughs) This made everybody happy. I wasn't stepping on anyone's toes when I said, no, I agree with the things Jesus said. But, it was even more foolish because it ignored a ton of what Jesus said about himself and what he taught. And so, I want to invite you to not make the same mistake I did, and I want to let C.S. Lewis kind of bring us all into some honesty about who Jesus is. It'll be up on the screen, you can follow along with me. C.S. Lewis said, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him being Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Your only categories this morning as we were looking at Jesus is that he was a liar, that he knew everything he said was wrong and he held on to that lie to his death on the cross. Or he was a lunatic that nothing he said had any value. He had no ability to think coherently because he thought he was God. Or it's true. What he said is that he's Lord and that is who he was. That's where the Apostles' Creed points us in Scripture. Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. That is our orthodoxy, as we will say throughout this series. That is our right belief, what we know to be true about God. So let's talk about what we believe as Christians, what we Christians have taught for thousands of years, and what we'll circle back to at the end to help us know how to live in light of it. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Colossians 1 now. Uh, We're going to be in verse 15 starting there. And if you don't have a Bible, there's some in the seat backs uh, in front of you. You can go ahead and take that home with you as well if it would be helpful to you. All right, starting at verse 15. He, as in Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, And in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Out of this text, Paul, who wrote this letter, is pointing out three things about Jesus that we're going to focus on today. We're going to be looking at the person of Jesus, who Jesus was, the position of Jesus, where he stands in power, and lastly, the purpose of Jesus, why he was here. The person, the position, and the purposes of Jesus. So we're going to go back through, line by line, we're going to go to verse 15 and get started with the person of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Out of that line, we immediately might confront a problem that the people at Paul's time writing this may not have had. There are people today who think that Jesus was just a myth, that he didn't actually exist, that people just hold him up as this figure uh, that's been created. Um, That itself is pretty heavily debated, and it's just not true. It's not really well respected in academia at all as well. Uh, We must all affirm that Jesus was actually a human being, that he existed. And if you came here today and you do disagree with me on this, I know that some bearded guy on a stage in a church is not going to be the one who's like, oh yeah, he's not biased. It's going to be somebody who actually uh, might have some stake in the game of saying that Jesus wasn't God. And so what I'm going to do is show that Bart Ehrman, a well-decorated agnostic and critic of historical texts, has to say about Jesus. He says, despite the enormous range of opinion, there are several points on which virtually all scholars of antiquity agree. Jesus was a Jewish man known to be a preacher and teacher who was crucified in Jerusalem during the reign of the Roman emperor Tiberius when Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea. It's just not a respected place. It's not a position that holds any weight. No historical scholar worth their stuff agrees that Jesus did not exist. That is overwhelming. So we have to deal immediately with the fact that Jesus was real. Jesus was real. It's part of his personhood. But not only was he a man, Paul is exclaiming throughout this entire passage the beauty and the reality of Jesus being God. He starts with, he is the image of the invisible And when Paul says image, he means physical presence. He means that Jesus is the son within the Trinity here in person, which implies a lot of things about Jesus immediately right out of the gate. Like Tim talked about last week, God being creator is not limited by time, space, inability or neediness. All of those are also true about Jesus because if he is the image of the invisible God, then he carries all the same attributes as God. That is who Jesus claimed to be as well, the Son of the Father, come to earth in the flesh. And I wanna show you in a couple of places where Jesus actually said this himself. This first one, in John 8:58, Jesus was being tested by Jewish leaders where Jesus responds to them and says, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus wasn't messing up his English, mostly because he was speaking Greek. But uh, what he was referring to is, back in the Old Testament, there was a Hebrew name for Yahweh that is special and sacred. That name for God was given to Moses to refer to God, to give him the authority that he was speaking from God. God said, tell them, I am sent you. And so Jesus is speaking to Jewish leaders who knew that in the text, knew the way God referred to himself. And Jesus was there to say, that's who I am. I am the I am. And so he was claiming that right to their face as well. The next one, this one will be up on the screen. In John 14:8 through 11, Jesus being asked to show his disciples God, to reveal the Father to them. And this is what he said. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. At the Last Supper, the disciples wanted Jesus to show them who the Father was, and Jesus pointed to himself as the door. He said, through me, you will know the Father. He dwells in me. Jesus is showing us that he is unique. The Father dwells in him. He is the way to the Father. And so the next place we have to land with Jesus is that Jesus was God. He was a man, he was real, and also for his person, that Jesus is God. We're going to get much more into the Trinity as we go on through the creed, but what I need you to know for today is that Jesus was the Son of the Father, one of the Trinity here on earth. Next, we're going to look at the position, the position of Jesus. By position, I mean station or role. What does Jesus do? And we're going to see that in verse 16 and 17, so you can continue there with me. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What we can see about Jesus' position here is that he is creator. He created all things. This solidifies even more Jesus' position as God, that he was with the Father and Spirit in Genesis one, like we were looking at before, bringing life to the world. Jesus created everything that we can see and not see. He is in front of us and even in heaven. There's nothing left, there's nothing outside of his creative work. Even, as Paul continues here, over dominions, rulers, and authorities. He's referring much more here beyond presidents and kings and like physical powers that we know of. He's actually referring to heavenly powers and authorities. He's referring to the angels and the demons, that Jesus is even creator and authority over them. And if that feels like a weird note to add, I just encourage you to either look up or remember when every time Jesus confronted a demon, they, ter- they were terrified, they shuddered, and they obeyed him. So part of his position is creator, and that puts him in authority over all things. And he's not just the creator of all things, he sustains them, too. Jesus is sustainer. So if Jesus created all things, that means he also knows how everything is supposed to work. He made all the little pieces, and the design of it, he was personal with. He fit everything together. So when Paul is adding that Jesus sustains all things, it is saying that Jesus is working within his creation to make sure that it's all going in the right way. Imagine a director or a CEO who has his whole company, And as he's going through it, he goes through each level, making sure each moving piece is right where it needs to be, that the meetings that he has with the managers is all directing everything in the correct direction, tweaking the gears and the machines of every single part to make sure that this fully functioning company is as productive and good and in line as it should be. That is the picture we get of Jesus as sustainer, as intimate with his entire creation, making sure it's right where it needs to be. Lastly, we have Jesus as ruler. There's something else that we see in verse 17, that line, and he is before all things. What Paul is saying here in before is not saying that Jesus was before all things in time, even though that would be true. What he is saying is that he's over all things, that Jesus is supreme, that Jesus is above all things in power. He's showing a position of highest authority, greatest importance. Jesus being supreme means that he's on top of it all. And we have a word for somebody who holds that type of power, who is over all things and within all things, moving and leading. And that is Lord. This word Lord is showing us Jesus' full position, that we see his lordship as kingly, as supreme, as above everything, leading it all, authority over all, everything obeys him. And his lordship for us, it's not just a matter of preference or opinion. It's not like, oh, I think he is or I believe he is, so it is good, and we will talk about that. When we say that Jesus is Lord, we are recognizing what he's actively already doing and being. Because Jesus existed as God before creation, he is Lord. Because it was through Jesus that all things were made, he is Lord. Because he's the one holding it all together, he is Lord. That is who he is by nature. It is because of Jesus and what he's actively doing that we give him the name Lord. And then Paul has one more point to make to show us for Jesus purpose. Jesus' purpose. In verse 18, we see that he is the head of the body, the church, which will get us to our only point under purpose. Jesus' purpose is to be the head of the church. The word headship in the Bible refers to authority. It's being over something. It's giving it direction. And the church is referring to everyone who lives under Jesus' rule everyone under Jesus' rule, all throughout time, even, this is all Christians' past, all Christians' future, Jesus' church. And when Paul points out that Jesus is the head of the church, he's saying that Jesus has the position and authority to bring all of his people to holiness. He has the position and authority to bring us into holiness, which is him creating, him sustaining, bringing everything to the way it was supposed to be in the beginning, the way that it's supposed to work. Jesus' authority and headship over the church means his primary means Is going to be living within his creation bringing them to holiness and the way that he did this we also hear here in this text let's continue to see the means of this through 18 and 20. he being jesus is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent for in him all the fullness of god was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross What we see here is that Jesus' position, his personhood, and his purpose all come to a head at the cross. What Christians believe about Jesus is that we needed a savior, that we needed somebody to take care of a problem for us. And in this series, we opened up in Genesis to talk about God creating everything. We did that right in Genesis 1. And if we would have kept going, we would have gotten to Genesis 3, where we get to what Christians refer to as the fall, the reason why Jesus has to lead his church to holiness is because we at our core are sinners and rebels who do not live up to what this creation was supposed to be like this happens in Genesis 3 we have received the gift of life in the way that we're supposed to use it but we fall short we sin we dishonor God and his people it is because of that that we also see in Genesis 3 that sickness and death have entered the world that we brought this on through the sin of Adam so because of our sin If we're looking back at this text and looking at some of the language, we know that we are not pleasing to God. We need to reconcile with him. We need to make peace with God because of our rebellion, because of our rejection, because of our sin. And there's bad news there in the fact that we can't. We cannot do that. What could we offer to an infinitely powerful God that we have sinned against? What can we do to provide the perfection within ourselves to fix that, to clean that up, to separate that from ourselves? (laughs) At my time earlier that I was referencing, in my wisdom search that I was going for, that's why I became exhausted and frustrated. It was like, I can't answer that question. I don't know where to look or what to find. However, Jesus is pleasing to God. We see that right there in the verses as well. Jesus can reconcile us to the Father. The Father was in him. And that's what Jesus did. That was his primary purpose of coming to earth. What Paul is affirming about Jesus is that Jesus used his perfect life as a man, his power as God, and his position as Lord to come to earth and shed his blood on the cross so that we can have peace with God. That's what we believe as Christians. That is our orthodoxy. That is who we know Jesus to be. He's the one who was willing to do that and could and was able to provide that way. So he is the Christ who paid for our sins. He is his only Son, one in being with the Father, and he's our Lord, master of everything, including our life. Does that not just stir you up in seeing that picture of the life of Jesus as God with no limitations of time and space, stepping into time and space in the flesh? and become man to die for us, does that not just stir up wonder of like, why, how, what does that look like, who is this person? Even while he was willingly dying, the person of Jesus was pleading with the Father to forgive the people who were just torturing him and actively killing him. And he was like, look, they don't know what they're doing. (laughs) They don't know who I am. And so that kind of heart, that kind of person, Is trustworthy who would just pour out forgiveness in their moment of greatest pain I don't know about you but when I see that kind of love in a person I want to be near them I want to learn more about them I want to see what it takes to have that kind of power to forgive I want to hold that person close be near to them go wherever they will go and if I end up learning that that is heaven I want to go there too It is that, then, to follow Jesus to his kingdom. Lord, will you take me with you? When Jesus was being crucified, there were two men next to him. There were a couple criminals and thieves also suffering to death by his side. And one of them recognized Jesus as Lord while he was there and defended him. And it says in Luke 23, it's not going to be on the screen, but I want to read this. This is the the criminal on the cross. He said, For we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus turned to him and said, "Truly Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. And I just love the confession that this man had. As he recognized that Jesus had done nothing wrong and he had the authority that he said he had, he said, Jesus, I am a sinner, yet you do nothing wrong. Will you think of me when you are reigning in your kingdom? Will you remember me? Will you think of me? Will I be in your mind? And so that is why there is no question more important to your life than who Jesus is. Look at who he is. Look at where he stands and why he came here on earth. He doesn't let us sit on the fence with who he is. His question to his disciples will extend to you and all people today. But who do you say that I am? So I encourage you, if you're in the room today and you don't have a decision, if you don't have a landing on that question, make a decision. (laughs) Land somewhere. Make a definitive choice. Whether he was a liar, that all of this was just held on, even though not true, that he was out of his mind, that all of this is absolute nonsense and nothing that he says can be trusted, or that he is Lord, that he was actually saying true things. Each week, we're then also going to teach a right belief Uh, or the orthodoxy just did the right belief. We're also going to teach the orthopraxy, the right practice that leads out of that. And so I'm going to have three for us today, three areas of our life that we can then step into and live within the kingdom if we see Jesus as Lord. The first one for us today is going to be trust Jesus with the world. We're going to trust Jesus with the world. If everything Jesus said is true, then he is in fact Lord over all, And he's present everywhere, and he's holding all things together. There are no gaps in this. King Jesus would not be choosing to ignore you if you feel like he is not working. That's not how he works. That's not how he thinks. His wisdom, his power and authority must be greater than yours. So then we all have to learn to trust him, even when we think he's not holding all things together. And so, to your disclaimer, potentially. Right right now, uh, just within our church, with some of our close family that are around us, I know that we are just facing the circumstances that really put this to question. We're facing the circumstances that make this really hard to believe that Jesus is actually present and actually working in the midst of suffering and pain. We've received alarming phone calls, family emergencies, medical diagnoses and tragedies that none of us have been expecting. However, what is Good, and what is helpful is to just pause. Just take a moment and remember that Jesus Christ is present in it all. Nothing is slipping through his fingers, even if it's hard to believe right now. And even if your current circumstances make you feel like it cannot be true, he is present, he is patient. He wants nothing more than to see your circumstances be brought under his redemptive power. So Jesus is over the world. You can trust that he is present and working. Uh, I want to encourage you all to pray over your church family for this. Our next area is to uh, submit your desires to Jesus. Submit your desires to Jesus. When you confess that Jesus is Lord and you are brought into his kingdom, that means that you are willing to submit your desires over to him. This means that you will be turning away from sin, that you will be fighting against temptations and following the commands of the Bible. And Jesus does not share his power, his authority, and his throne with anything. Yet, we too often seek out to find our desires be met through anything other than trusting Jesus. But here's the thing with that. We cannot say Jesus is Lord, but also I need more money to actually give me the security that I want. they not compatible. We cannot say Jesus is Lord, but his love is not enough, so I'm going to turn to people, pornography, or fantasy until I feel loved. That is not compatible. We also cannot say Jesus is Lord, but actually I need to be the one making all of the decisions because he doesn't do it right. It's not a choice. It is not an option that we have when we say that Jesus is Lord. When we do this, it's as if we are living within his kingdom, we're citizens within his walls, but then we find something outside of the walls, we're looking at it, and we're like, oh, I need a little bit of that. So then we like dig a tunnel under the wall, and we run some contraband scheme to then bring that into his kingdom, and it's like, all right, I've got you, Lord, but also this wasn't here, and I needed it. It's such a blatant act of distrust that we would need to hide it and cover it while we bring it in. Some of us will need to search our hearts, we need to find where we do not trust Jesus as Lord, and then we'll have to find that, repent it, and turn away from it and say, No, Lord, that is an act of distrust, and I choose you. Our last response, our last right practice, would be to give Jesus your worship. Give Jesus your worship. Jesus is worthy of it. Just look at who he is, look at what he's done, look at how he sought you out and the price that he paid. Jesus is the creator, son of the father, come to earth, took on flesh so that he could give his life over through suffering and death to bring us back into his kingdom. We should be moved to love. We should be moved into adoration and reverence for who Jesus is. And when we let that work its way through us so that we both believe it, but also do something with it, it should lead us to worship. So, We do this every Sunday. We come here together to do this. When we are leading worship here on stage, sing his praises because he is worth it and think about it. Actively participate and step into it as an act of worship and giving something that is right for God. When you hear encouraging truth about God in a sermon, for my sake, here I am, or for Tim or Garrison or anyone else, speak his praise out. Affirm to God, for God, yes, that is true, thank you be willing to give Jesus the glory and the honor that he deserves through your worship. So that's where we're at. Trust Jesus with the world, trust him with your desires, and give him your worship. Last, we're going to do what we do every single Sunday when we celebrate that Jesus is our king. And what we do is that we pray over one another, we take communion, and we worship. So in a minute, I'm going to invite the band back up on the stage, if you would like to receive prayer today to profess that jesus is lord or you feel the spirit is working something within you that you need or want prayer over there are going to be people around the room with a blue lanyard who would love to do that with you and for you next we're also going to sing a couple of songs together to lift up the lord in worship i encourage you to sing with your hearts declare what is true about him and what is true about you and then lastly we're going to take a communion this is a practice of remembering jesus body and blood shed for us so that we can be reconciled with god If you're not a believer, this is the only thing we would ask for you not to participate in yet. Just because you'd be saying something is true of you that is not true yet. Instead of communion, we would invite you to say Jesus is Lord, to work that out, to think about that and talk with somebody around you. And there will be pastors up front, I think, or maybe me, uh, who would love to talk with you about that after the gathering. Uh, So let us respond to Jesus with prayer, communion, and worship. Band, you can come on up while I pray. Jesus, Jesus you were a man who used your life in service and in love on a rescue mission for your kingdom god help us believe in jesus as god help us believe that his life and death was a specific event that means something for us that it was an invitation for us to learn who god is and also to be made right where we have fallen God, I pray for those who are wrestling around with anything that has been said today, just finds you, finds your patience, and finds your love. Be that through prayer with you. Be that through this this family, this community that is met here today. God, I pray that worship today would honor and glorify Jesus. Let us sing songs for what is true and good about who he is. I pray for your word and your comfort in prayer as we will be praying over one another here today. Jesus, we we thank you for this Sunday. We thank you for a day set apart where we can recognize Jesus as Lord. I thank you for your grace that we can be here today as well.